Man, it's so good to see all of you guys here this morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm excited today to be up here as we begin a brand new series today talking all about the choices that we make. Because I really do believe that in a lot of different areas of our life and the different facets of the things that make us us, that we are one decision away from changing the course of our life. That we are always one moment, one choice away from making a decision that will forever change the way that we live and in some cases forever changing where we will spend our eternity. And that is is where I want to begin this series is, is talking about the most important decision that any of us have ever made or, or could ever make. And that is the decision to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ to inherit the, 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 in the, the relationship with our Heavenly Father of His children, to become children of God, to be, to be co-heirs with Christ is the way that the Bible talks about it. So that's, that's what I want to talk to us about today, is this decision that could forever change our eternity. Now, for a lot of us in the room, chances are, because we're coming to church, there's, there's a good chance that most of us here believe that we have made that decision. And I believe that a lot of us or most of us really have. But I want to talk today about knowing the, the, all that that decision entails. And I want to set it up like this. Um, for, for the parents in the room, how many parents, show of hands, parents, how many parents you got, parents in the room? All right, good. All right. Um, how many of the parents in the room have ever succumbed to the pressure of, of a teary-eyed, grief-stricken, begging and pleading child that they can have a pet? Show of hands. How many of you? How many of you kids came begging, oh, dad, mom, please, please, just let me have, please, can I just bring him home? Can I please just keep it? Can I please? Does that request not always, is it not always followed with this promise? I promise I'll take care of it. I'll feed it and I'll take it outside and I'll give it its bath and I'll be the one that takes care. Like you won't have to do anything, mom. You won't have to do anything, dad. I promise I'll take care of it. Anybody? Show of hands. All right, good. Yeah, that's the exact same number of parents that just raised their hand and said that they gave into the pressure of their child who want a pet. Because it always comes with that promise. We know what really happens, don't we? We know what happens eventually. At some point, right, the, the, the newness of having a puppy wears off. The newness and the playfulness of the kitten becomes one of them evil cat things that don't want to have anything to do with anybody. Y'all you know what I'm talking about? Y'all know I don't like cats. That's how I feel. It is what it is. And all of a sudden, all of the excitement and all of the joy and all of the anticipation and, and all the begging and the pleading, can I please, can I please, can I please, and I promise and I promise and I promise, is gone. Because they were really excited about the idea of owning a, a pet until they became aware of the, the larger whole of the scenario. The caring for another life of, of an animal is a, it's a huge responsibility. It's a lot of time commitment. It's a lot of upkeep. They're going to tear stuff up, and you're going to be responsible. It's like there's, just, there's way, way, way more to owning a pet than most of our little doe-eyed children understand when they stand before us pleading and begging. 
to have a pet. And I think that for a lot of us, as it pertains to our relationship with Christ, that may have very well been the scenario by which we came into a relationship with Christ. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe you went to a church service and, and there, was a, there was a guy there, or, or maybe it was a friend that came to you and they, and they said, you know, because of our sin, we can't get to heaven and we can't be in a relationship with God. And so what you need is a savior. You need, you need Jesus in your life because Jesus will, he'll save you and then he'll forgive you of your sin and you don't have to worry about your sin anymore. And then when you die, here's the promise that you get to go and spend eternity in heaven. And you don't want to go to hell because that place is horrible. That's why they call it hell. Like, like everybody knows what hell is and what it means and nobody wants to go there. And so if you don't want to go to hell, then what you got to do is you need a savior. And you think to yourself, man, that sounds pretty good. I don't want to go to hell. I need a Savior. And so you receive Jesus into your life as Savior. And then, you know, like any good Christian, you got to go to church, right? Because that's what, that's what good Christians do. They come to church, right? So you go to church, and then there's some guy kind of like me standing up here with a Bible kind of like this. And it begins to talk to you about what it means to surrender your life to Jesus and to give up control of your life to Jesus. Maybe he would read some verses like Romans 12.1 and Philippians 3.8. Romans 12.1 says, I, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Doesn't it sound kind of evil? It almost sounds better. It doesn't even sound good. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Oh, and then Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And as a new believer, or as someone presented with the reality that being a follower of Christ means that you have to give up control of your life, all of a sudden it begins to feel a little bit like a bait and switch. Almost as if I knew that I needed a savior, but I don't know how I feel about all this surrendering, sacrificing my life stuff. And the struggle that we face then is either I don't even know what it means to be a living sacrifice, and I don't know how to do it, or I don't want to do it, or both. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't sound very good, and I don't want to do it. And we start off excited about our salvation, but fearful of this idea of surrender. I mean, after all, we want to be the hero of our own story, don't we? 
Now, we, we, we love the stories. If you, if you go to the, to the movies or even if you watch like sports documentaries or whatever, there, there are all these stories of these heroes that, that kind of jerk themselves up by their bootstraps and they, they, they start from nothing and they make something of themselves and they go on to become these really successful people. They're the hero of their own story. Or, you know, now, right now in the movie theaters, the, super, the superhero movies are all the rage. Everybody loves a good hero story. And who doesn't want to be the hero of their own story? The one that, that, that made it. I came from nothing, and here I am. I made it. Let me ask you a question. What good hero story ends with the hero surrendering? See, there aren't any. There are no real good hero stories where at the end of the movie or the end of the book or at the end of the story, the hero gives up. And because we so desperately desire to be the heroes of our own story, the inclination then and the propensity in our lives is to refuse this idea of surrender because how do I get to be the hero of my own story if I got to give up? problem is when we resist this this giving over of control when we resist this surrender we miss out on the savior if you're looking for something to to write down today kind of the big idea for what I want to communicate today is this Jesus is our savior only when we surrender. Jesus is our Savior only when we surrender. And there's another way of saying that. Maybe you've heard this. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. How many have heard it? How many? Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Right? This, this became the Christian calling card of like the 70s and the 80s. There was, this, there was this movement going on. I read about it just this week. I asked Pastor Quinn, have you ever even heard of this? And we were both, he's like, I think I heard something about it. We had never really heard much about this. But there was this, there was this movement that, that caught a little bit of traction back in the 70s and 80s. Now it's, it's, called, um, it's called easy believism. It's, almost, it's kind of a derogatory term to talk about this movement that caught some traction but, but the thought process of the 70s and 80s became kind of popular was this idea that you could receive Jesus as Savior just by believing that Jesus died on the cross and that because he died on the cross, you were forgiven of your sins. If you'll just believe that, then you're good. You got heaven locked down. You don't have to worry about your eternity. All you have to do is believe that Jesus died. And then you don't have to change anything. You can go on living just how you want to live. If you want to live sinfully, you can live sinfully. But you just have to believe that Jesus died on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sins. And that's a pretty dangerous way to live when the warnings of Scripture teach pretty clearly against that. So... In response to this, to this belief system, and in response to this, uh, this movement that kind of caught some traction, the, the calling card of the Christian church in the 70s and 80s became, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Because there was an understanding that, that if, he is not, if, he, if there is no surrender, if he is not Lord, then he's not Savior. 
That there has to be more to our understanding of what it means to have a relationship with Christ than just my belief that at some point in history, a couple of thousand years ago, some man died on a cross for me. There has to be more than the belief. There has to be a willingness in our hearts to give the control of our lives over to the one who died for me. And this isn't a bait and switch. This isn't one thing and then another. It's not a two-step process. It's an all-for-one deal, kind of like owning a puppy, right? Like kids get excited. Back to the puppy illustration. I don't, I don't want to get too far away from it because I believe this is exactly how it feels. Really excited about the puppy part. But you can't have a puppy without it becoming a dog if you take care of it well. It's all part of the same thing. And Jesus, a relationship with Jesus requires of us that he be both Savior and Lord. It was Jesus himself that gave us a warning. Look with me at Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. This is Jesus. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. I, uh, I occasionally have the, the unfortunate honor, and I say that very clearly, or that way for a reason. I, I, I sometimes have the unfortunate honor of officiating funerals. It is both an honor to, to help lay someone to rest, but, but unfortunate because of the hurt that comes with the passing of a loved one. And every time that, that I go and I, I speak with the family before I do a funeral, um, I all, if I don't know the individual personally, I always ask about their relationship with Christ. Hey, where, was your loved one, uh, were they a Christian? Were they, were they a Christ follower? And from time to time, the response that I get from the family is this. I know that they believed in God. Like, awesome. Did they, did they go to church? Were they active in their church? Did they serve? Like, were they, like, were they well, no, 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 no real church, no, no real service. And then I, I kind of I try to pry a little bit, and I try to get in there, and I'm looking for Jesus. Well, where, did they do this, and did they do this? And I ask questions, and no, no, not really. And, and as I go along, what I find is, is sometimes the family is clinging to any measure of hope that they can find that my loved one that just died is with our Heavenly Father. And the best that they can come up with is I know 
that they believed in God. Now, it would be hopelessly cruel of me in that moment to be like, yeah, that ain't enough. So I don't. And, and I try to find some ways to, to, to comfort the family. And, and when I officiate the funeral, I talk all about the gospel and the good news that God does love us. And that he does want to have a relationship with us. And that if we'll commit our lives to his son, Jesus, both as our Savior and our Lord, that we can have the promise of an eternity with him. Like, it changes the way that I officiate the funeral. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that, that we don't mourn as those who have no hope and we understand that, that the person who died was, a, was a, a Christ follower and that they had a relationship with Christ. Like there's, a, there's something that changes in that. It's not so, it's not so dreadful. It's not so, it's not so difficult to celebrate their passing from this world into the next. But, but for those who cling only to that, I know they believed in God. It's so much more difficult to do those funerals. Jesus here in, in his illustration about the two houses that were built, he's, he's speaking here of judgment. And the last words of verse 49 are, are rather haunting to me. He says that it fell immediately and the ruin of that house was great. What makes the ruin great in this illustration is that a house had been built. And it had all the appearances of a good house until the stream came and it found that it was built on a foundation that was insufficient. And this morning, I, I would do a great disservice to all of us in the room if I did not tell you that if your, if your hope for your eternity is built only on the foundation that I believe God is real, and I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that your foundation, too, may very well be insufficient. So if I, so if I could challenge you for just a few moments, I'd, I'd like to ask of you, what measure of influence do the things of God truly have on your life? This, this is too important to be unsure or undecided. Are the, what, what measure of influence do the things of God have on your life? For those of you who are single, how, does, how do the things of God weigh into your decision of who to date or who to marry? Are, are you dating someone that you wouldn't consider marrying? Is the first thing that you're looking for in, in your future spouse or mate? Is it, is it are they a, a Christ follower? Now, it might not be the first thing you notice, because come on, let's be honest, we all notice the looks first, don't we? Like we look across the room and like, man, she kind of pretty. Like I, I kind of like what I'm looking at right now. But then the next thought is, oh man, I hope she's a Christian, right? Like that's, like that's how it should go. When we're, when we're searching for, a, for somebody to, to date and somebody that we're looking to marry, then the first thing should be, I mean, the first thing is always, come on, like I, I like what I'm looking at. And then the second thing would be, man, I hope she loves Jesus. Because that should be a deal breaker for us, shouldn't it? If we're trying to find someone that we're going to marry, that we're going to spend a life with, that we're going to raise kids with, like it should be really important to us if we're a believer, like what we think of God should influence how we date and who we spend our time with. 
Does it influence how you parent? We spent a lot of six weeks talking about this just a, a couple of months ago. Is the goal of your parenting that you would become less annoyed with your children? Or that you would somehow will your child into being something successful that would bring you pride? Or is it about leading them to a deeper understanding of their heavenly father through Jesus, his son? Are you trying to create a better adult or are you trying to create a better Christ follower? We just finished a series on, on Christ in our work. How much about how you work and why you work is focused on Christ. What influence, what level of influence do the things of God have on your life? Did you just stop at belief? Or have you surrendered to the idea that Jesus is, in fact, Lord? Do you desire for him to control and to influence the decisions that you make and the things that you do? This will be a recurring theme in this series. We are are to surrender to Christ as Lord. Now, I had to make it heavy for a few minutes. But, but, But could I... Could I encourage you as you embrace this challenge? That that, that if we're going to surrender and if that's going to be hard and if if I really want Jesus to be part of my life and I understand that he can't be just Savior, that he has to be both Savior and Lord, if that is the truth and and I have to surrender, that's hard and that's challenging because that means that I have to give over control. That means that he gets to be the hero of my story and not me. But could I encourage you for just a moment as we embrace the challenge of making Jesus the Lord of our life, not just the Savior. Because here's the truth. This is not a good news, bad news thing. This is not a good news that he's my Savior and bad news that he's the Lord. That's not how it works at all. This is a good news, good news thing. Because this is the truth, and you're going to want to write this down, that being under the authority of a good king is a good thing. When I wrote that down, I realized that it rhymed, and I got giddy like a, like a, like a third grader that just learned how things rhyme. Um, so I want us to all say that together. Can we just say this together, right? Uh, one, two, three. Being under the authority of a good king is a good thing. Don't you feel like a rapper right now? We drop a beat. Like we, just, we just go. Like being under the authority of a good king is good for us. Whoop, whoop. Right, wait, wait, we'll go, we can go. <laughs> yeah, I ain't going to rap. We ain't going to do it. We ain't going to do it. Jesus is this great prize. Having Jesus as our Lord is a a blessing for us. It is not a bad thing. This is a good, good, good thing. Matthew records this for us in his gospel. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Jesus, now speaking in parables about the kingdom of heaven, about what it means to have a relationship with him, says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, in his what? In his, in his joy, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys the field. 
That that's what it means to receive Jesus as Lord, to receive this, this gift that is the kingdom of heaven. That there's nothing worth more value. That if I could have Christ, then I should want to and desire to get rid of everything that stands between me and him as the Lord of my life. That requires surrender of me. And it is not a begrudging, horrible, oh, I hate that I got to do it, but I don't want to go to hell. It's not that. It is Jesus is my delight. He is the thing that I desire more than anything. And the thing that's going to make heaven great is not that I didn't go to hell, but that I finally get to be with Jesus. Yeah, we can clap for that. That's worth clapping for. John Piper says that if all you have is a decision for Christ, but you have no delight in Christ, then you do not have Christ. It is our delight in Jesus as our Lord that guarantees that we have actually received him as such and therefore as Savior also. See, he's a good king. Don't don't think Prince John, the, the, the cowardly Prince John who opposed Robin Hood. No, think King Richard, the magnanimous king whose subjects long for his return. Think Aslan, not the white witch. Think Mufasa, not Scar. He's a, he's a good king, worthy of winning our admiration and our following. And his leading, here's, here's the, I think this is the, maybe even the best part. I saved it for last. His leading creates for us a better life than we can dream of for ourselves. I love nothing more. Then the aha moments where I figure out, like it's crazy to me that I've been a Christian this long and I still get these moments, but I love that I do. I love that I still get these aha moments when I figure out that doing it, God, doing it God's way works out better than I ever thought or better than I could have ever figured out. I, I have the, the privilege of, of doing several weddings a, a year and I, I require pre-marriage counseling for all the weddings that I do. And, and the pre-marriage curriculum that I, that I take couples through, it's, I think it's really profound and it's awesome. We, we taught a series I had some of the content a couple of years ago. But as I sit down with these couples and I walk them through this pre-marriage counseling, we, there, there's, there's always this, this one session, this one meeting that we get to. And we begin to ask them some questions. And then more times than not, this is the response, and I love it. It's so great. They're like, wait, 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 wait. If we think about it this way, there's no way we'll ever get divorced. <gasps> like, I know. That's how God drew it up. Can you? you I mean, it's so great, isn't it? And they're like, I've never thought about it this way before. I was like, I know, God's so smart. And those moments, they happen as we, as we study through the scriptures. As we begin to, to accept Jesus more and more as Lord and surrender more and more parts of our life to him. There are so many more of those aha moments that await us. Because Jesus leading us creates for us a better future than we could have ever dreamed up for ourselves. His way of doing it is so much better. Isaiah 55 says, God, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts and your ways higher than my ways. He, see things, he sees things from a perspective from beginning to end that we can't even comprehend. And he's given us his son as an example to follow. And in our following, in our submission to him as Lord, what we find 
is that the life that God has for us is so much better than the one we even dreamed of for ourselves. So this morning, if you have only trusted Christ as Savior, if that has been your motivation, it's just, I just don't want to go to hell. And I believe, but there's been no change. Might I I challenge and encourage you this morning to surrender? And I know that the thought of surrender, that's not a very appealing, but, but when it's Jesus to whom we surrender, it makes it so very much worth it. Is Christ your Lord and Savior? If not today, I pray that today would be a time of decision for you. We would love to have the opportunity to share with you all that comes in a relationship with Jesus. And I'd ask you to either mark on your connection card or to come find one of the pastors or someone in a blue shirt, a blue volunteer shirt in the back of the room. Would you find us and just say, I, I want to know what it takes to have a real relationship with Jesus. I, I want to accept him for the first time, both as Lord and as Savior. If you haven't done that, we'd love to have the opportunity to help you, to counsel, to guide, and to pray with you. If at some point in your life you have made that decision and you would say today that Jesus is both Savior and Lord, might I challenge or encourage you this morning to search your heart, to search for that, area, that next area of surrender. I believe that the life of the, of the follower of Christ is the one that is completely and always committed to finding that next area of life that has yet to be surrendered to Christ. Let me give you just a few how are, you, how are you doing with lust? How's your thought life? This is a question that, that my accountability partner and I ask of each other when we talk. What are you thinking about or watching that would be dishonoring to God? Is there unforgiveness in you? Are you harboring unforgiveness towards someone Which do you do more of, talking about people or praying for them? Do you gossip? How much of your life is given away for others? Do you serve others as much or as often as you serve yourself? And lastly, do people know that you're a Christian? Would they be shocked to find out? You see, I believe that for all of us that these things kind of ebb and flow. Like I do really well with some of them for a while, but, but, but I begin to, to take back control of certain areas of my life. I, I have a tendency and a desire to pull those things back in, and I have to be reminded either by Scripture or by Christian brothers and sisters or by messages that I listen to on, on the radio or, or whatever it is that, I, that, that, I'm, that I'm getting into. I have to be reminded that surrendering to Christ as Lord is a daily decision. We were instructed by Scripture to take up our cross daily, to surrender to our Lord and to our Savior every day. So this morning, I hope that this message and my time on this stage would serve as a reminder, as a challenge, as an encouragement to you to either surrender for the first or to surrender again.
But would you do some, some work with God this morning? And in a few moments, the band is going to come out and they're going to lead us in, in some songs of worship. And I pray that that wouldn't be just a time that we stand and we sing, but a time that we reflect, a time that we surrender, a time that we re-engage with our Lord and our Savior because he is both. If you need to come and, and, and kneel up here, I don't believe there's anything more holy about this stage than your seat. But sometimes an, an act of movement, an act of, of surrender helps things to stick with us. So if, if you need to come, if that would be your, your motivation or, or your symbolic act of coming to surrender by kneeling, then you can come and kneel here at the stage. And I pray that no one would come and pray alone, that, that we would just gather around and, and pray for and with one another. But if you need to do that as we sing, I pray that you would. Whatever it is that you need to do this morning to re-engage with your heavenly Father, surrender to, to the Lord Jesus for who He is. If you would, even if it's just a desire to delight more in who He is, would you come? Would you pray? Would you do whatever you need to do right now, whether it be in your seat up here or however you choose to do it? Would you? I just so desperately desire that all of us this morning would leave knowing that Jesus is more than Savior. Because I have also surrendered to him as Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, today as we, as we listen, God, as we prepare to sing, Lord, would you reveal to us the nature of our own hearts? God, I pray that in the next few moments that you would speak clearly enough for us to hear and you would give us the boldness to respond. God, would each of us right now, and even if just in our own minds, God, completely surrender our lives to you. God, I pray that, that each of us would give you the permission to just move in our heart, God, that we might see an area that has yet to be surrendered to you. God, if there is sin, if there is anything within us that is dishonoring to you, God, would you reveal it that you might cut it out? And God, that cutting process is never easy. It hurts, but it's so worth it to give up all that we are and all that we have for the cost of knowing you. God, help us this morning to build our house on the rock, a firm foundation rooted in not in who we are or what we're capable of accomplishing on our own, but God, in who you are, through Jesus, your son, to us. God, we love you. We ask now, God, you would help us to surrender, that we might receive you more and more. We love you, God. We thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.